To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The European Union is on the brink of becoming the first major power in the world to regulate artificial intelligence. Politicians in Europe will vote on a proposal to bring in a law that would govern the use of artificial intelligence. I think we have made history today. Uh, We have set the way for uh, the dialogue that we will need to have. We started having with the rest of the world on how we can build responsible AI for our globe. I'm Rosalind Matheson, in for Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, what's the European Union trying to do to regulate artificial intelligence? I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. uh, And we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. It's one of my areas of greatest concern. What you just heard was Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the artificial intelligence research lab that created the generative AI model known as ChatGBT. Earlier this year, he testified in front of the US Senate, calling for more regulation of AI tech in both his own company and others. And just last week, OpenAI, along with Google and Microsoft, went one step further. They're creating an industry watchdog to make sure their AI models are safe. While regulation is moving at a snail's pace in the US, the European Union has set out to be the first Western administration to create a comprehensive set of guardrails around AI, known as the AI Act. But why are European regulations so important? If you wanted to evade the European regulations and, for instance, offer then the same AI product somewhere in the United States, you would need to retrain the model and carve out all the European data from that model. So that is often unappealing for companies. That was Anu Bradford, law professor at Columbia Law School and author of the term the Brussels effect, the idea that what is agreed in the EU becomes the global standard for regulation. We'll hear more from Anu later in the episode. But first, Bloomberg reporter Gillian Deutsch joins us from Brussels to tell us a bit more about what exactly the AI Act is. The EU's AI Act is really the first attempt by a Western government to comprehensively regulate artificial intelligence. And, you know, the European Commission first proposed this back in 2021, so this is pre-ChatGPT hype. And their approach was really to regulate the use of the technology, not the technology itself. So they called it a risk-based approach, and they prohibited certain kinds of technology or certain kinds of uses of AI. For example, they banned social scoring, and they often cite China and this kind of idea that you'd have a social score based on your behavior as a citizen. That's one of the things they're trying to avoid. And most of the proposal focused on so-called high-risk use cases. So this is if law enforcement wants to use AI or if a company wants to use artificial intelligence to scan employment applications, for example. They want to make sure that that is overseen by a human. There are certain assessments that make sure that their technology is not misused or enforces bias. But the vast majority of AI at that point would be unregulated. 
if it's not used in those high-risk circumstances. So we didn't really see actually anything explicitly on generative AI. If you look for the terms like large language models or foundation models, these kinds of things that we're talking about so much now, they're not really found in that first draft. It's actually all about this high-risk use cases. There are some basic transparency requirements for deepfakes and chatbots, but that's about it. Let's talk in a bit more detail about what this act actually does. Who is it trying to regulate? How is it trying to regulate? So the commission's first proposal for the AI Act is really to focus on the high-risk use cases of AI. So if a government wants to use, for example, you know, artificial intelligence to scan a crowd to look for a terrorist or to look for a missing child, the parliament, for example, wants to completely ban that. EU countries, though, are saying we need to have some kinds of, of uses for this kind of live facial scanning recognition technology. We also are seeing certain companies would be limited in how they use artificial intelligence for sorting through job applications, for example. They couldn't really use AI to choose the best candidates, for example, because a lot of this technology has a long history of choosing white candidates over over people of color. So those kinds of things would be moderated. But the vast majority of AI under the current proposal would be allowed or just allowed under very loose kinds of controls like transparency requirements, making sure people know they're talking to a chatbot, for example, or making sure that deep fakes are labeled as such. Well, you mentioned that this began really before ChatGBT, but has that sort of driven some of the more recent urgency around it? You said this is a process that began some time ago, but does it feel like it really needs to speed up? Yeah, I mean, ChatGPT changed everything here in Brussels. So this has been debated for over two years. And about a year ago, there, you know, EU countries and lawmakers were starting to say, there are foundation models that in the future could be really powerful, and maybe we should add some explicit guardrails around that upcoming technology, but they didn't really know what this would look like, and they didn't know how to regulate it either. So EU countries decided, okay, let's add some controls over general-purpose AI, but they didn't really have a great idea for how to do this. It was actually lawmakers who were still debating the their version of the AI Act who really started adding more controls to this because they saw ChatGPT explode and become one of the fastest adopted technologies I'd ever seen. And it created this political impetus where they had to actually explicitly regulate ChatGPT and generative AI for the first time. And so they've really come about and, and added a lot more explicit controls. Lawmakers wanted to make sure that companies would summarize the copyrighted material that they use to train these large language models. They also wanted to add some very interesting controls companies are not very happy with on you know, making sure that they would explain the impact their technologies would have on the environment, on rule of law. These are some things that, that companies argue they don't know how to comply with. But it's really the parliament actually going full speed ahead and trying to regulate generative AI explicitly for the first time. You talk about generative AI, which is really sort of AI that basically generates other things, audio, content, stories, art calls. Perhaps one day even a podcast could be generated from AI. But is that where the concern starts to lie? You talk about the focus on high risk in all of this, but it just sounds like it's an incredibly complex task to try and regulate such a sprawling and fairly new and nebulous sector. Is there a worry in all of that that they step into over-regulation? Over-regulation is a massive concern for everyone. And it's actually interesting if you look at France, so France a year ago was actually the country really spearheading this effort to include what they were calling at the time general purpose AI. But now, a year later, they're actually, they're the ones ringing alarm bells that, wait, if you do too much regulation, we might actually as the EU 
miss out on this next wave of technology. And they want to make sure that their startups, in both in France and both around the European Union, can actually be a leader in this technology. And here's what French President Emmanuel Macron had to say about investment in AI earlier this year. I think we're number one in continental Europe, and we have to accelerate. So this is why we want to invest more. The good thing is that we have a lot of good, very good talents. We have good mathematicians, good um, data scientists, um, a lot of talents adapted to this uh, AI environment. We will invest like crazy on training and research. Is there the sense that the EU is sort of the leader, the front runner on all of this? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we obviously saw Sam Altman from OpenAI come out and tell the U.S. Congress he wants regulation. And now there's really this impetus in Washington, D.C. to actually regulate AI. But while the U.S. government is actually looking at this for the first time, the EU is years ahead, actually. They might be ahead, though, but they still actually haven't figured out just how far to go. The EU and U.S. are talking about how to regulate AI. The U.S. government is looking at the EU government both for as an example of what they could do, but also as a cautionary tale of how far, I mean, too far you could go as a government. The U.S. government has even actually lobbied against some of these controls as well and said that these are going to negatively impact their companies. It's interesting, you do see the U.S. government, they have some rules in certain states. New York, for example, has laws about how to use it in employment situations. But really, the EU is once again operating as the world's big tech regulator. And they have a long reputation of being that world's big tech regulator. But they also could be a model for going too far. Let's talk a little bit about within the EU also, because there are fairly big differences between member states. Obviously, in Brussels itself, you touched on some of these things, because I imagine for countries who belong to the European Union, there's that thing where they want to protect from the high-risk perspective, but also they want to capture some of this business. It's interesting because the problem has gone full speed ahead and they're adding all these controls, like I mentioned, or want to add all these controls. Countries are really, they're aware of all of the possible risks. They see that this stuff could go too far, but also they want to be the hub where startups come and actually you know, build the kind of company that could rival a Google or an open AI. And so they do not want to overregulate. Even Spain is leading the EU's presidency. They have a long reputation of trying to build up their AI market, and their government has been very much in trying to encourage AI startups to start there. So it's really going to be interesting to see how far they actually want to pursue rules on ChatGPT. My conversation with Gillian continues later in the episode. But first, will the EU set a precedent for the US? Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm joined now by Columbia Law Professor Arno Bradford, the author of the upcoming book, Digital Empires, The Global Battle to Regulate Technology, just to talk a bit more about the specifics of this act in the European context. Arno, I want to start off by asking you, how is the EU's rights-based approach being applied specifically to the AI Act? So the EU's main concern when it comes to development and deployment of AI is how it implicates fundamental rights of individuals. So that has been one of the guiding principles. So the EU is particularly worried about the individual's fundamental right to privacy. And the AI can be a very powerful tool for surveillance. So the EU AI Act is looking to limit the ways AI systems can be used for surveillance purposes, for instance, whether it's predictive policing, but also thinking about using facial recognition in public places that can potentially then put large segments of the population under surveillance. So Privacy is one thing. And another particular aspect of fundamental rights uh, that is relevant here is discrimination. So many companies are using, for instance, AI as a tool for recruitment. So the AI can determine your access to employment. The AI can determine access to education. Or banks, financial institutions can use AI to screen individuals' access to credit. Or then the states can use it to determine access to public benefits. And that is a setting within which some concerns over discrimination can arise. Just given the complexities of like how you regulate AI and the EU trying to hit the right note with legislation that's vast and complex, I guess the million dollar question is, is it even feasible to try and do this? So I think that is a really critical question, Ross. And I think the EU is conscious of the difficulty of the task ahead. But at the same time, I don't think it is enough to basically deter the EU from going ahead with this legislation. So there's a very uh, big temptation and one often hears that, look, this is too fast moving, this is too complicated, and the legislators just don't have the technical expertise to regulate. But I would rather say that this is not just about technology. It is also about how technology implicates fundamental rights, how it implicates democracy. And I wouldn't say that the Facebooks of the world would have any expertise in being in charge of democracy and fundamental rights. So that alone, I think, justifies that democratic governments have the seat at the table when it comes to steering the AI future of the societies. I think that you have all heard and probably agree 
that AI is too important not to regulate, and it's too important uh, to badly regulate. A good regulation that we all agree on as soon as possible must be a common objective. What you just heard was Marguerite Vestager, the EU Commission's Executive Vice President, addressing the European Parliament last month. So would you describe the legislation as sort of the best that it can be at this point in time, or when you look at it, given your experience with sort of regulation and the challenges as a whole, do you see any holes in the legislation? Do you see things that lawmakers have missed in this process? What would be your advice to them if you could look at this legislation and talk to them about it? So I think it would be probably fair to say that this is not going to be a perfect legislation. And that sometimes then invites the question whether no legislation is better than imperfect legislation. And there I'm willing to say that even if we don't fully get to the kind of regulation that best serves the development of AI over the the, the future years, it is still important to get basic guardrails in place. So yes, in many ways, I think the legislation is still somewhat vague, So that, I think, suggests this is the best that we can do at this point. You cannot expect the lawmakers to to become too specific in prescribing how you develop these technologies. But at the same time, they do have the need to put in place those transparency obligations so that we can still have democratic oversight and a conversation that we open the black box behind these technologies and gain a better understanding. The EU approach is very different from the US approach, which is very hands-off, basically sort of looking towards voluntary regulation if there is such a thing. AI can help deal with some very difficult challenges like disease and climate change, but also have to address the potential risks to our society, to our economy, to our national security. Tech companies have a responsibility, in my view, to make sure their products are safe before making them public. A, I'm interested in your view on that, and B, even if the U.S. decided they wanted to tackle this, is it just impossible during the U.S. election season? So the U.S. has for quite a while been reluctant or unable to to legislate. So compared to the Europeans, Americans are still much more convinced that there's faith in the operation of the markets and greater faith in the tech companies' self-regulation. And at the same time, greater hesitancy that the governments can improve outcomes by stepping in. So that's why I've often described the American way of regulating more of a market-based approach as opposed to the European rights-based approach. And I think there are a few reasons for that. So the Americans are still very focused on safeguarding the conditions for a thriving tech ecosystem that is ideal for innovation. They are also regulating in the shadow of US-China tech war. So Americans are very concerned that the U.S. will retain its technological supremacy and it cannot be left behind in this ongoing tech race. There's also tremendous lobbying by the tech companies that partially explain why the U.S. Congress has not been able to generate any meaningful legislation, even though the public opinion in the U.S. has been shifting to be more skeptical of tech companies' self-regulation. And it's just generally that the political process is rather dysfunctional. We see very little meaningful legislation emerging from Congress. 
still today we are seeing something like a voluntary guidance coming from the White House. There's a blueprint for AI Bill of Rights, but ultimately those voluntary regulations, they leave the decisions in the hands of the tech companies. In terms of talking about the mitigation part of it, do you see a potential to actually use AI to regulate AI? Are there any aspects of AI that can be drawn out that are more positive, that are more productive, that can be used in the application of sort of systems to regulate AI? I think it's almost inevitable. Ultimately, if the AI really is as powerful of a tool, for instance, to be used by criminals, we need to then make sure that we also have the good actors to deploy the AI and develop AI in a way that we can, for instance, more easily detect the wrongdoing. We can detect fraud. And if we think about using AI to spread fraudulent information, misinformation, that we also have the power of that technology that is deployed in a way that allows us to fight those downsides and and mitigate that kind of harmful activity. So absolutely, I think there is a great need and I would like to think a great incentive by many developers of these technologies to make sure that the technology is deployed in a way that can be used as a powerful weapon for good. As we come back to the idea of where the EU is at, could you just walk us through where the Act is at now and what the processes are to bring it fully into law? Of course, it has to be discussed with the EU member states and there could be some wrinkles, no doubt, there. What are the next steps in this process? So we're two years into this process, Ross. So that's when the proposal was first put forward by the European Commission. And right now we have the proposal that has gone through the legislative process in the Council that represents the voices of the member states and in the Parliament that then uh, represents the European citizens. But now we have this last phase of the legislative process where we need to reconcile the differences between the Parliament and the Council. And the Commission is there as a broker in these conversations. So there are some differences. I think it's fair to say that the Parliament has been more ambitious in imposing additional obligations that were not part of the version that went through the Council. And now this fall is the time when we are trying to find a consensus uh, between the two, two legislators. And because of the looming European elections next summer, there is a timing issue. So if we fail to reach a consensus and and pass the, the AI Act through this final stage, the fear is that we go to the next elections and then we have a new slate of MEPs with their own priorities and we need to go back to the drawing board. So there is a great uh, need now for Spain as the president of the European Council to t- try to broker the compromise and make sure that we can get the law out still in the course of this fall. Of course, I need to ask you about the Brussels effect, which is a phrase that many of our listeners would have heard of, but may not know that you, in fact, coined this phrase, which is to describe the way that essentially, if I've got this right, EU regulation becomes the standard everywhere because companies say, well, we need to standardise our operations globally. So even though it's only an EU regulation, it can become the way they operate, including in the US. Would you expect this to be the same in this case? So I believe that there is very likely to be a Brussels effect, at least on some applications of AI. So first of all, AI is a multifaceted thing and there are many, many forms and types of AI. So um, I, I wouldn't think that we will see 
um, every AI system to be following the European regulations around the world. But there are a couple of features of how AI works that lends itself really well to the Brussels effect. So one is that you need a lot of data to develop and power these models. So the more data you have, normally the better AI models you have. And if you are willing to use the European data to train these models, you are bound by European AI Act. And then if you want to offer that same AI system in another market and use those models that were trained using the European data, you do need to continue to be bound by the AI Act. So if you wanted to evade the European regulations and, for instance, offer then the same AI product somewhere in the United States, you would need to retrain the model and carve out all the European data from that model. So that is often unappealing for companies. When we return, more from Bloomberg's Gillian Deutsch about the future of AI regulation. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Gillian, let's talk a bit about the role of big tech in this, the lobbying efforts that have gone on so far. Obviously, tech companies themselves, some of them expressed concern, the CEOs, about the pace of AI and the risk from AI, but also they want to harness it and make money from it. So what have they been lobbying the EU for? It's interesting because the EU proposed the AI Act two years ago, and companies have been lobbying like crazy in the interim. And actually, they, they liked the Commission's first proposal because, for the most part, it left generative AI untouched. It was mostly if this technology was used in high-risk circumstances, then it would be regulated. So tech companies were mostly pretty happy with that initial idea. It was when EU countries and lawmakers began adding more controls that they started to, to ring alarm bells and freak out. It's kind of difficult to summarize exactly what companies all want, but if I were to boil it down to three points, it's basically one, trust us, we as companies have already put in our own controls. We have not launched certain products as well because of possible misuse or problems we've seen arise. Two, they say it's not really up to us 
as developers to see how this technology is used. It's up to the users, it's up to the companies that purchase that AI. They're the ones who determine how it's actually used. So it's really up to those companies and those users to bear the cost and the burden of compliance of regulation. And, and third, they really want to stick with this risk-based approach, which to remind you, that means very few controls on generative AI. And how will this fit against individual country regulation? I mean, obviously, nations sort of do agree that Brussels has the say on some of these broad issues, but equally, each country is still going to try and do their own thing to some extent. I think individual countries are really going to be tripping over each other to become the AI hub in the EU because the EU has a massive chip on its shoulder. They've missed out on many waves of technology, most notably the social media wave, they want to have some kind of company that could someday really rival the likes of Google, the likes of Microsoft. And so we will definitely see countries like France, Spain, trying to attract those startups, trying to build them up, help them scale up and not lose them to the U.S. like they've seen in previous startups. So we definitely will see countries trying to become the most hospitable hub for AI. And we've talked a lot, I guess, about the risks, about the fallout, about slightly dystopian future that people warn might come with AI. So let's maybe talk just briefly about the upside. (laughs) Also, when we look at AI and the possibilities across business, governments and so on, what does the EU see as the potential of AI? That is such a great question because so much of the conversation here in Brussels is about the possible harms and big tech companies, you know, trying to steal the entire market in Europe, never being able to compete. I think lawmakers do realize that there is serious upside to productivity, to the healthcare industry, and they want to make sure that they also can capitalize on that as well. Part of the AI Act actually is this thing called sandboxes, which is basically allowing smaller companies to operate with with fewer restrictions so that they can kind of test out their technology and not be constrained by so much regulation. And so this at least is one opportunity for EU politicians to say, look, we're not just focused on regulation. We also care about the innovation here as well. If you had to make a bet, what would you say would be in that final bill? There's no question to me, generative AI will be included in some way. I do think that most people that are not in the parliament think the parliament went too far. So I I think some of these concerns are from companies that they will not be able to quantify the impact on the rule of law or the impact on the environment. Those risk assessments will probably be taken out, but we definitely will see some controls in generative AI. There's no question about that. Gillian, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Ross. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zainab Siddiqui. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Rosalind Matheson, in for Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. Hold up. 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.